I'm puzzled. Uh, are you really seriously suggesting that Jesus Christ was a mushroom? I uh, put pretty blankly, yes. Surely you don't suggest that Jesus Christ and his various disciples were not human creatures. Yes. You are dealing with a, a secret cult, a secret society. The stories of the New Testament contain certain incantations, certain magic names, were, which were really the names of the mushrooms. No, but and the writers, the writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these men who wrote the mm. story, you are telling me they did not exist? No. None no. of them existed? No, it, it's part of mythology. It's part of mushroom mythology. <laughs> So basically, I've spent most of my professional and a lot of my personal career sort of trying to figure out what it is that's going on about our minds. All right, guys, welcome back to this week's uh, episode of the Grimerica Show. We're going to be talking with uh, Dr. Tom Roberts a little bit later about spirituality, uh, spirituality and entheogens, but first. As always, how's it going tonight, Graham? Hey, Darren, I'm doing pretty good, man. Yeah. East of the Rockies. East of the Rockies in the igloo. I'm actually non-local tonight. Spring has sprung in the igloo. I hope the audio is okay, buddy. It's okay. All right. So, yeah, this was a great episode with Tom Roberts talking about the, uh, what is it, our spiritual evolution through personal experiences and stuff like that, entheogens and mind apps. Yeah, exactly, which is where I figure every fucking, you know, it's a good chance that shit came from in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. That's yeah, a good app. So what's new with you, buddy? How's Spam um, Graham going? Oh, uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, I got a little bit of feedback. Yeah? yeah Anything you care to share? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Um, Any hate yeah, mail? Any hate, Graham? No, never hate mail, man. They know it's all about the cosmic love here in Grime America. Yeah, there's always one. No, there's good feedback on the UFO quote segment. So we just got a, I got an email from Brian Drummond who says he loves the segment. And he suggests that we catalog, go back and catalog each of these quotes and put them on the site. So he thinks it's, uh, it'd be awesome to have a whole list of these types of quotes in one place, being that they're all from heavily credentialed people. These statements coming from people with extreme status and access makes it all the more startling. For them to openly make these sorts of comments on the topic so trivialized deserves attention. So, who knows? He says maybe one day he can publish a small book. <laughs> Just a huge list of UFO quotes. Perfect. Uh, so, yeah, I thanks, wonder, Brian. You think, can you just post quotes without, like... Yeah, I think it's okay. Yeah, well, that's a good idea. You got like 10,000 on two of the fucking grammars. Whoever entered them into the computer fucked them up. No, it could or do you think it's that... bad translations? No, it could be just the way that... And these people, they weren't all formal quotes, right? So these people might have been just Talking saying right. it, right? And, you know, they're drunk at the time. That's uh, reassuring. <laughs> And I gotta say, I gotta say thanks to Justin. We got a package of little gifts in the in the mail. We've been testing because uh, he sent us a Bigfoot postcard that never showed up. And speaking of the postal service, we also got a package that was ripped open 
and I think it was a book from Inner Traditions, Traditions, and it was gone. I got it right here. Yeah, I tried to call the one eight hundred number to to uh, figure out what happened to our book that was missing, but they had no fucking clue. They didn't. They couldn't help us at all. So hey, we have a postal carrier listening in Calgary too. What is going on with your postal service, buddy? It just says reject. No, it got rejected by the USPS. So it's like it never even got into Canada. I know, it's there's no one Canada. Propaganda. How did it get to our P.O. box? Though? It's propaganda, no... man. They're like, fuck this. We're not sending this shit out to Canada. What was it again? I think it's Baldur's Magic. <laughs> Sweet. It's like uh, Norse shamanism and shit. Oh, man, we got to do that. Yeah, it's too bad, really. Well, we could always just get it on the Kindle, I mean. Get an electronic version. Yeah, I think the post office is having some some issues right now, man. So I hope everything's going. Or on okay. the post office. I think so. Honestly, I think there there's some disgruntledness going on. So. Really. Yeah. So, anyways, we did get the package from Justin, and thank you very much. Now, I I was in your kitchen the other night doing the podcast. The night before the package arrived, I'm thinking, I need a new coffee mug. I need like a a paranormal coffee mug. <laughs> and then what shows up? Bigfoot. What was it? Searching for Bigfoot coffee mug. Looking mugger. for Big, Bigfoot coffee mug. The slick looking mug. Oh, I love it. It's is exactly the, is what the I need. Bigfoot? It looks like I forgot the I forgot it in my truck. But I'm looking at the picture. Is he like three D'd out of there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nice. And yeah. then uh yeah, thanks, Justin. I got the little Bigfoot holding the snow globe with the little baby Bigfoot in it. <laughs> that's perfect. With my new baby. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Yeah, we, we've been, uh, Jess and I have been having some crazy synchronicities about emailing at certain timings with emails and stuff like that. So there's something going on there. I want to say hi to Justin's uh, fiance, too, from our his friends up in Canada. She's a listener? No, Justin's fiance. She's a listener? Oh, I don't think she's a listener. Oh, so you're just saying hi. Well, she makes fun of how he calls us his friends, right? And she's like, oh, those guys you never met? <laughs> oh. I was like, that's exactly what some of my ex-girlfriends would have said. Oh, yeah, those friends, those guys you've never met? Yeah, well, welcome to the future, bitches. <laughs> Not your fiancé, of course. Graham's exes. I'm sure your fiancé is a wonderful woman. I'm sure we'll meet one day. That's right. We've got big plans for the Lake future. Lake Okanagan. Yeah, looking for Ogopogo. And, and Sasquatch. If, yeah, and if nothing else, fishing. So is uh, any more spam grams you care to share? Yeah, I got another one from David at Grimerica. He's on our Passport episode, too. And he's... he's... <laughs> yeah, Dave's been with us since day one. Yeah, man, that's yeah. awesome. So he was, uh, he was suggesting we get a guy named Chad Kalick. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Kalick? Uh, Kalick? Caleb Kalik, yeah. That's a ghost he, guy, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. American Ghost TV or something like that, or I don't know. Uh, American Ghost Hunter. Fucking, I've been wanting to do a spooky episode. Really? We haven't yeah, done that, it. yeah. The Weatherly was the last spooky one, I think. Yeah, Chase talked a bit about ghosts too, I think. Yeah, but um, he came out with a documentary called uh, A Blood Red Summer, and then he also is coming out with a truther one. I watched the preview of that it's it's pretty crazy did, did you watch that yet the preview of truther no what is it a movie yeah it's a new documentary about 9-11 called truther yeah it I, looks should pretty crazy. I should check that out yeah is it out yet 
I think it's like tomorrow, actually. I'm not sure, but I think it's really close. And he wants us to have Chris O'Brien on too, which would be pretty cool. Maybe to have Red Red on during the interview. Red Pill Junkie and Chris. Chris so. O'Brien. Uh... Yeah, dude, and he's got the new his new book out, Stalking the Herd. Oh, he's been on lots oceans, of, right? Yeah, he's been been on lots of podcasts lately. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know the list. Our list is get it. Fuck. Our it's list huge. is almost from the. Once we have these latest ones, our list will basically be from the top of the door all the way to the bottom. Yeah, so it's good, man. We've got lots of guests coming up, lots of good ideas, lots of good shows. It's it's lots of fun. Yeah, good times, fast times, America Igloo. Hoon Hoon Hoonology, the Hooniverse. Barry Hoon said that. Uh, what did he, What did he say? We're riding the edge of the blade, or something like that, or we're right on the edge of the blade. Yeah, yeah, and he's working on some cool, some cool stuff. Uh, yeah, we're gonna don't say anything yet. We're gonna, yeah, we're not gonna pop uh, pop it out yet, but. Uh... I'm excited thanks, Barry. coming over on that. Yeah, big thanks to Barry. And uh, we'll just tease you guys for now. Yeah. So maybe we'll see Justin at Paradigm this year. Yeah, maybe. We're going to have to make it down oh. there now because we're, oh, like, we're, we're already booked an interview with uh, <laughs> Von Daniken, so we better show up. Yeah, it's kind of a good reason to go. Yeah, he'll be pissed if we don't. And Richard Dolan will be there, one of my favorites too. And and fucking Graham Hancock and Jonathan E. West. So it's going to be a fucking wicked one this year. So, and we'll be there in full force. Parad- uh, Grimerica. Paradigm in Grimerica. No, Grimerica in Paradigm. Oh, fine. Paradigm's along. Maybe they'll throw a Paradigm in Grimerica one day. Yeah, maybe. Or we'll just have to have Grimerica on. Grimera Corp puts on Grimera Con. Speaking of that, how's 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 our hegemony uh, going? Hegemony, the uh, Grimerican global hegemony movement is uh, going good. We just latched eighty six with Macedonia, which is super medieval sounding. Yeah, I always think of, like ancient Greece and the Spartans. I can't believe there's still a country they called Macedonia. I don't know. It seems. Uh... Very ancient. Really? Yeah. And you don't have to say movement after hegemony, I don't think, either. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> do you do you know that for a fact, or you don't no, think? No, no, no. I'm just, it's my my intuition. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> I'm just, oh, yeah. So, uh, as promised, we actually got a bit of feedback on the cat situation and i thought that shit was bullshit myself but it turns out um it's real it still is kind of bullshit yeah it kind of is actually that's uh we didn't want to tell you guys but that's actually why we're uh non-local tonight because Graham is trapped in the back room of his apartment <laughs> zeus is on the prowl <laughs> isn't there uh are you when's that cat show of yours i i seen you invited it to me but yeah, me to it. yeah. There's a cat show coming up uh, in a week, April nineteenth and twentieth. Now, do you know what a cat show is? There's a cat show on four twenty. There's a cat show on four twenty. I might be there. <laughs> hey, you know what though? You better be careful because there's actually uh, there's a, a a liability note here at the cat show in the cat show flyer. Do you want to hear it? I can't wait. <laughs> the Calgary Cat Association. It's individual members, the city of Calgary and the TICA, which is like some sort of association, 
North America or something. Yeah. They won't be held responsible for injury, loss, or damage to cats, exhibitors, vendors, or other persons attending the show, or any property belonging to exhibitors, vendors, or other persons. So be on the lookout at the show. You might get, uh, you know, scratched or something. But they, I guess they probably have that at dog shows and everything, too. I don't know. You think so? I'm No, I don't know. Check it out. I don't it even know what a like cat some, show is. You, you like, I think it's just... actually like a... You should just be able to go to any fucking dog show website and see if. Yeah, I know. I was gonna, but I'm just. It's, it's getting late. So should I take Zeus on a leash then? Or, I mean, you're, are taking, you allowed to... you're taking your cat to the cat show. Well, I just thought of it now. Maybe I should. I think that's uh, a terrible idea. <laughs> I don't even know what a what a cat show is. I have a feeling it's like a uh, like the best in show for cats. Really. You're yeah, taking. You're putting Zeus in the catcher. No, no, no. I'm not putting. Him ah, in. the plot thickens. No, I was gonna take him to watch. You're a catcher guy. Well, I might be in on that. I didn't know it was on 420. What day is that? Uh, I think it's uh, two two days, the 19th and the 20th. So that would be. Uh, if I go, it's gonna be on Saturday, Sunday, or something probably. I think Saturday will be Easter dinner. So we got some audio of Zeus and Graham. A 22-pound cat named Lux, and it all played out in a dramatic 911 call. He may look cute, but don't make this cat angry. I have a kind of a particular emergency here. Lux, a 22-pound black and white Himalayan, held his Oregon family hostage in their bedroom, forcing them to call 911 for help. My cat attacked our uh, seven-month-old child, and I kicked the button, the cat in the rear, and it has went off over the edge, and we um, aren't safe around the cat. It's a very large Himalayan. Zeus a Himalayan? He won't let us out of her door. Lee Palmer and his girlfriend, Teresa Palmer, no. said the feline turned ferocious after their son, Jesse, pulled its tail. Palmer kicked the cat, which sent Lux into a rage. He then chased the family, including their dog, <laughs> Into the bedroom. Every time we open the door, the cat would hiss. It's really bad right now. He's charging us. He's at our door, our bedroom door. One moment, okay? Do you hear him? He's cleaning the cat. Yeah, I hear him. Hold on. Keep your door shut. Lux was eventually caught by police. He's laughing at him. Behind bars. The bars of a crate, that is. The cat did not want to get back in the cage, that was for sure. In a Facebook post early this morning, Palmer writes, The cat is very loved. That is why he is still here. We had the option to let the animal control take him, but decided to give him a chance. I'm a very caring, hardworking father that cares about my son, cat, dog, and girlfriend. I did kick him away from my son. You would, too. All right, all right. So... What's the moral of the story? Don't kick your fucking cat, right? Like the cat's the cat was scratching the baby. Still, he was you don't defending. Have to kick he was defending himself. He's, he was defending his family been, from the, the crazy baby, the cat's cat. Been abused or something, and this is the result. Yeah, that's something a cat person would say. That's a big cat, though. Twenty-two pounds. Holy fuck! I used to have a big mancoon, like part mancoon, and it was only like fourteen or fifteen. So Tyson's like twenty-seven, I think. Is he? Yeah, but that like a ten pound cat would fuck him up. He's a solid little doggy, eh? Yeah, but he's a pussy. He wouldn't fare well against a cat with that scrunched in little face of his. <laughs> Can't really bite things. 
So it looks like uh, we can almost guarantee we'll be giving something out at the end of April. Yeah, so at the end of April, at least $100 will be gifted back to one of our listeners, right? So our Money Bomb is a way that we can uh, help cover some of the costs. So people contribute to Grimerica, we'll put their contribution in the Money Bomb, and then we gift half of that back at least $100. Um, it will be more once we get more. We'll give that back to uh, to one of the donate one of the contributors. But you don't have to pay anything money wise to get in. You can also email a picture of the flyer on the website. Download our flyer, take a pic, email it in. That'll get you in too, and or send a postcard to the PO box, or I guess a gift. Obviously, it doesn't have to be a postcard, eh? No, we'll accept gifts. No narcotics, and it's not a lottery. So yeah, that's the way uh, to help us out with our expenses and to uh, support other like-minded people that listen to the show. Yeah, so April 30th will be the last day and we'll be giving away at least $100 to one of you guys. So jump on board. Maybe it'll be you. And I want to give a shout out to Greg Carlwood at THC, the Higher Side, Higher Side Chats podcast, who came up with the Money Bomb idea. Awesome, buddy. Yeah, which probably... I would. Uh, I don't think it'd be too far out on a limb to say that that uh, Carlwood's money bomb money might have turned into Sasquatch in a coffee mug. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we had to piece it together there. Wow, that sounds like it's the Graham's profound UFO quote of the week time. Was it Graham's now? I think it was always Graham's. Okay, I'll let you have that. You can let me have you that? Can, yeah, 100%. Okay. okay. Congressional investigations are still being held on the problem of unidentified flying objects, and the problem is one which there is quite a bit of interest. Since most of the material presented to the committee is classified, the hearings are never printed. That's from Congressman William H. Aries. In 1958. Ooh, is, he, is this a two for a week? This is a two for a week. Nice. Short ones. Saucers exist. I saw two. They were intelligently flown or operated. Evasive tactics, formation flight, hovering. They were mechanisms, not United States weapons, nor Russian. I presume they're extraterrestrial. That was from Lieutenant Colonel Richard Hedrick. Radar bombing expert, 1959. Radar bombing? Yeah. Nice. What would his nickname be? Dickhead. Head, Sorry. Head dick? Sorry. Head of Sorry. dick? Dickhead? Sorry, Richard. I wonder if he's still uh, kicking. 59, he could be. Well, hopefully he doesn't sue us. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> so, who's up next? Anyway, we got... Uh, Oh, we should jump into, you know what? We should probably jump into our call with your friend. Yeah, this is our, our, our call with Joanne Bean, who is a lodge keeper and a spiritual healer. She practices all kinds of modalities of healing, including massage, cranial sacral, uh, Reiki, that type of thing. And she does sweat lodges. And she's organizing, or helping organize a local event here on April. Oh, now I can't remember the. Date 21st, I think. It's in the show notes, and it'll be on the interview. And she's also got people from around the world participating in this. 
one world drum ceremony of drumming, meditation, prayer, dancing, that type of thing, uh, you know, to focus on the intention of basically healing and love for the earth, that type of thing. Good time. So we'll, uh, we'll play that right now and, uh, pick you guys up in a few minutes. And with us here tonight in uh, Grimerica is Joanne Bean of uh, Asani Healing, and she's going to talk to us about uh, the One World Drum Ceremony that we mentioned a few episodes ago. So uh, welcome, uh, Joanne, to the podcast. Hi, Graham. So we, we talked about it a little bit, but could you describe for our listeners who are basically all around the world uh, what's going on with this One World Drum Ceremony? Well, actually, um, I'm going to be doing or leading three ceremonies on April 21st. Um, starting at 10 o'clock in the morning, I'll be down in um, Vulcan County at the uh, Carmen Gay TP Rings uh, doing um, a ceremony there uh, to bless the water and um, just say some prayers and sing a few songs um, in Native tradition. This is a the Carmagee teepee rings, so it's a sacred site. Mm-hmm. Then at 2 o'clock, uh, well, 2.14 in the afternoon, I'll be at the Eau Claire Market, um, or Eau Claire Park, actually at the uh, Peace Grove, uh, the circle of um, 12 trees and a, a boulder in the middle. Um, we've used that circle a couple of times for previous events, and it's, uh, it's an awesome spot, very central, and... Um, it's right adjacent to the Bow River. Oh, cool! Uh, there's a boat launch. Yeah, there's a boat launch just there. And that's it. That's at two fourteen in the afternoon. Then on April twenty first. April twenty. Yes. So there'll be a meditation and um, prayers, and then I'll be doing a um, a drum, like some drumming, and uh, singing probably four songs to honor the four directions um, in Native tradition. Cool. Yeah, to just to promote um, healing of the water. So so that is the local aspect. So we do have local listeners too here in Calgary. So I'm going to put some links to your, to your site and to your uh, Asani healing in the show notes here. So if people want more information, they can just go there, but um, that's for the local people here in Alberta. So you're also sort of getting people all over the world to participate on the same day, right? Yes. I've, um, there's already been people from Florida, from um, Australia, from Whitehorse, uh, from all over the place, uh, and everyone everyone is welcome. There's no this is non-denominational, yeah. <laughs> so anybody who has uh, the inclination to say a prayer, um, to join a meditation, um, I do have a meditation that I can record and post on the um, the Facebook page or and on Asani Healing. Um, if people want to follow that, they can. They're welcome to do whatever whatever they're driven to do. To um, there's already been there's been many postings. Uh, there's been lots of people around the world already who've been um, guided to do meditations, to pray, to sing, dance, drum, <laughs> um, whatever. Um, in an effort to stimulate more love and healing uh, to promote peace in the world. 
and uh, to heal the Pacific of the radiation that's leaking from Fukushima. Um, and just generally with all the, the fracking going on and the just general pollution that uh, the mother, mother Earth can use all the help she can get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, always. And, then, and this is coordinated close to Earth Day, right? What, what day is actually, isn't there an Earth Day too? Earth Day is April 22nd. Okay. And it's a Tuesday. So uh, I'll be participating in prayers and meditations on that day as well. Um, I think there's also stuff going on on the 20th um, that uh, I'll be participating in as well and um, just adding my prayers to the masses. Oh, very cool. Actually, yeah. did I get the 21st right? I think I said it was Friday, but I was looking at the March calendar. What day is it? Yeah, that is March. It's, it's actually Easter Monday. Darren April still hasn't 21st. switched over the calendar here in the studio. Oh, is that my job? <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> uh, no blame. It's okay. So, um, so Joanne, what about, uh, I mean, that's a great idea. It's cool uh, Cool that now we can reach across the globe and, and people can actually participate in this this type of thing. I mean, we've had guys on the podcast talking about the global coherence initiative and people doing meditations online from all over the world and trying to increase their, their heart's coherence and stuff like that. So it's uh it's cool to be able to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. So do you want to mention for the local people a little bit about uh, maybe your sweat lodges and what you do at Asani healing too? Okay. Um, I did just want to mention um, when I'm done at the uh, Eau Claire Park in Calgary, I'll be going out to uh, the Continental Divide, which is just on Highway 93, just past Banff, about half an hour beyond Banff. And I'll be depositing the blessed water that we'll all be praying on throughout the day. Um, That is the point where the waters drain to the Pacific. So I'll be finishing my day at the Continental Divide. Um, for, and I've got some folks from uh, Banff and Canmore who ha- have uh, said they might come out and join me there. So you do like a little ceremony so, there? So I'll do the same ceremony there. Like yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll pray and drum and sing. Very cool. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so can anyone, can anyone kind of join you there? Yeah. If they want? Yeah? Okay. Okay, so tell us about your uh, your sweat lodge and your and your healing. The sweat lodge. Um, I talk about I it on call, the show a little bit because I've been I've been a couple times and I and I love your sweat lodge and every once in a while I mention it uh, after I've been. So. Well, it's a healing place, right? It's uh, it's a healing ceremony. Um, I've been doing sweats for six years now. Um, the first two years I was. I was doing pretty intensive, like uh, anywhere from two to five times a week, <laughs> every week for two years, um, learning the songs, learning to pray, and uh, learning to um, how to use my prayer to heal. And um, I learned that in my healing process that now I can hold that space and help others through that same experience. Um, so I am a lodge keeper um, of the Sleeping Buffalo Lodge, and it is a community lodge. It's a mixed lodge. Um, it's 
a healing place. Yeah, it's it's uh, my experiences there so far have been great. Yeah, very comfortable, very healing, very hot. <laughs> <laughs> That's the point, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna take Darren there one of these days. Maybe. Yeah. Awesome. Next one is on Sunday. Yeah, I noticed. I don't think I can come. Darren's. Uh, are you a Ojibwe, Darren? Ojibwe. Ojibwe. So, so what about uh, you? Also do cranial sacral and Reiki and and massage and stuff too, right? In in your practice. Yeah. Um, I've been a massage therapist for 23 years, and wow. I've been doing cranial sacral, uh, Reiki, myofascial work for about 18 years, and then um, the last six years doing the traditional uh, native healing, uh, spiritual healing. Wow. So you, so you still practice all those? You kind of combine them together or, or like you, you still do practice uh, I, variations yeah. of all those? Yes, I can do any of those um, like pure or I can do a combination and uh, sort of blend it into a massage as to um, what sort of use whatever tool is needed um, to address whatever problem presents. Yeah, yeah. I, I noticed uh, a huge difference when I was having a massage from somebody that was not in the room with me, if you know what I mean. Like they're kind of off in La La Land compared to somebody who's like actually practice energy healing and stuff. And I, I noticed uh, quite a difference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I had another question about that. So so you, you do this uh, in – in uh, different locations, right? So if people go to Asani Healing, they can find out where to uh, to try try these out. Yes, I work out of my home in uh, Champion, Alberta, which is about an hour and a half southeast of Calgary. Um, I also work two days a week in a Gemini Physiotherapy Clinic in Vulcan. Okay. And uh, I do mobile service between Calgary and Lethbridge, so in southern Alberta. That sounds great, Joanne. We're going to link to all that in the show notes, and hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully if lodge. people are interested, they could uh, do that. And, yeah, the Sweat Lodge is in Champion, too, so, uh, yeah, you never know. That's great. Thank you so much, Graham and Darren. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for coming on. And if we don't talk to you before the ceremony, um, all the best with, with that, and hopefully, uh, yeah, you get a good turnout with some good positive people. Yeah, thank you. Thanks to Joanne Bean for coming on to chat about yeah. that one world drum ceremony. You'll be stuck at work. Does not just kill you. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm going to have to, uh, sneak out back behind the sea can <laughs> or go to the shitter, man. Yeah. I mean, where's Graham? He's been in the bathroom for like a half hour and I'm praying and meditating on the earth. It's just, if you just hear you tapping on the floor. No, I don't. You don't drum on your own. I can just meditate or pray or hum, or you could just maybe shake your leg under your desk. No, it should be good. I'll be at work too. So, but let me know how it goes. I'm actually gonna harass you probably at that exact time for like ten minutes. No problem. And then you should have your coherence thing on too. Uh, M wave. That's a good idea. My inner balance from heart math. Your inner balance, heart math, M wave. Coherinator. <laughs> so I suppose that about does it. Of course, you guys should check out the site. There's been some uh, some really fucking great blogs 
firing up uh, over the last week or two. Mind you, we always have great blogs, but they've just been firing out last week or so. Yeah, I just put one out myself finally, too. Yeah, which was yours? Uh, can you not remember being in the moment? Can Something we remember like not being in the moment? Yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> that's a yeah, good man, it's just about... Thanks, buddy. It's just about... Uh, when you're, uh, can you remember when you're not present? Like if I go back a few years and uh, try to remember something, if I wasn't present at that time, could I actually remember it? Like does my does my mindfulness or being aware increase my memory? I, I don't know, just some random thoughts and shit like that I had. Wouldn't it be weird if it was the opposite? Yeah, exactly. The background stuff gets picked up. Yeah, like like your brain's slowing down on entheogens. Yeah, and then our buddy Jared Grace uh, fired one out about Disneyland, Ghosts in Disneyland. It's uh, spooky. Ooh. And then um, Justin fired one out, uh, Kurt Cobain, for uh, Kurt Cobain's. Of course, it was just the an anniversary of his suicide, so that's a gooder as well. If you believe that. Believe what? That it's the anniversary of his suicide? Oh, if you believe it was a suicide. I gotcha. And then, uh, then Justin also had a good one about disappearing uh, five mass vanishings, a history of vanishings. Came out shortly after the plane disappeared. I wonder if he was in on the plane disappearing. Yeah, that was a long, uh, good Think you, you think he whipped it up after the plane disappeared, or do you think he had it ready because he knew the plane was disappearing? I think it came after. It did come after, but I'm still not going to rule him out. Yeah. Uh, so that's about it, I suppose, eh? We're going to talk about some uh, entheorestrials. <laughs> yeah. And all sorts of fun stuff. I don't see anything else uh, up there that we're supposed to get to, so... All right, stay tuned for uh, our chat with Tom Roberts. Dr. Tom Roberts to you. Okay, guys, tonight in America, we're joined uh, by Dr. Tom Roberts. He's going to talk about some of the healing power of psychedelics and spiritual growth and and such. But uh, first, and you know, psychedelics is always something we're, we're a little partial to here in Grime America. So, with, uh, but first, how's it going, Graham? Hey, Darren, doing pretty good. We're uh, in the new uh, studio, I guess, the, the new igloo, as you want to call it. <laughs> And we've got uh, Tom Roberts here, as Darren said. So what is the future of our minds? Can we expand our cognitive abilities through psychotechnology and entheogenic research and experimentation? Tom is redefining consciousness and adding dimensions like the mind-body multi-state theory. Are we entering a new religion, a religion based on personal spiritual experiences and enlightenment and not just from an ancient text or dogmatic institution? Tom's been uh, PhD Stanford. He's an emeritus professor at Northern Illinois University where he teaches foundations of psychedelic studies as an honors program seminar. 
It's the world's first university-cataloged psychedelic course, and its major-related publications include The Psychedelic Future of the Mind, How Entheogens Are Enhancing Cognition, Boosting Intelligence, and Raising Values, The Spiritual Growth with Entheogens, Psychoactive Sacramentals and Human Transformation, Psychedelic Medicine, New Evidence for Hallucinogenic Substances as Treatments, Psychedelic Horizons, Snow White, Immune System, Multi-State Mind and Enlarging Education, religious Religion and Psychoactive Sacraments, that's an entheogen crestomathy, and the second centering book, More Awareness Activities for Children, plus a few others. Now, Tom wow. is also, uh, yeah, this is, this is big stuff here. <laughs> He's a founding mev- member of uh, MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, Co-founder I'm actually of, subscribed to the newsletter. Oh, good. Co-founder of the Council on Spiritual Practices, launched the Rising Researcher Sessions at conferences, and actually even originated the celebration of Bicycle Day. So, Tom, sorry about the long intro there, but I wanted to get all that out because uh, we've got lots to talk about here. So welcome to Grimerica. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So uh, I suppose right off the top... Um, Maybe we could give a quick rundown of just to our listeners who haven't heard of you, um, who who Tom Roberts is, and and how you came to be um, such a big voice in the in the entheogen world. Um, well, you covered most of the important details in the introduction, thanks. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that. I was I was a graduate student at, at Stanford. Actually, I I drove to Stanford from uh, Connecticut during the summer of love 1967 and on the radio were the songs like you know when to go to san francisco wear some flowers in your hair and so forth but um i wasn't much interested in that i was going to get a a doctorate in educational administration stanford is about uh so 40 miles south of san francisco but i sort of picked up a lot of the san francisco culture when i got there and and got quite interested in psychedelics and i had my first experience in February of 1970 and started working at Northern Illinois University um, in that uh, August and have been lucky in being able to direct my career originally, which was entirely educational psychology, picked up a little um, psychedelic stuff. And now that I'm retired, all that I'm working on is psychedelics. And I'm interested, unlike most people, who are interested in psychedelics, interested in the psychotherapeutic and medical uses. I'm interested in the intellectual and cultural and the religious uses. So I'm trying to get across to society that psychedelics have uses beside um, adjuncts to psychotherapy. Hmm. So what's your, what's your latest um, work there? Um, you sent us something called Mind Apps and the Neuro Singularity Project. <laughs> yes, in fact, I'm... I'm, I'm polishing it up a little bit every day. Um, there are two books that are coming, well, there's a pair of books and one single that are coming out. Um, the pair um, is being uh, edited by um, Hal Ellens uh, at the uh, University of Michigan, and uh, its title is um, Seeking, Psycho- uh, Seeking Sacredness with Psychoactive Substances, colon, Chemical Paths to Self and God. I have two chapters in that. And then the one that I sent you is uh, Hal and I are co-editing a uh, sort of a spin-off from his original project. 
and uh, our title is uh, The uh, Psychedelic Policy Quagmire, and we're collecting articles and uh, chapters that have to do with psychedelic policy, but aren't specifically oriented toward the religion angle. And we're, pro we're actually right now are trying to figure out when to set the deadline. Originally, it was going to be next Tuesday, March 31st, but we realized we've got to set it back, so it'll probably be the end of the summer, and the book probably will be out very late this year, early next year, but it'll be policy-oriented. So the one I sent you on uh, Mind Apps, which is an idea I've made up, I'm very proud of it, by the way, um, <laughs> and Neurosingularity um, was going to be a chapter in that second book. Can you hear me? I have a feeling I've lost you. No, we can. No, uh, no. We can hear you okay. fine. Okay, good. So, can you go into uh, mind apps a little bit? Sure. The idea is very simple. In our electronic devices, we have digital apps, and you know when you add them into your cell phone or whatever you have, you're able to do more with your digital device. So, what I'm saying is that there are also apps that you can install in your mind. And we can learn to do different things with our minds, with the mind apps, just as we can learn to do different things um, with electronic devices, with the electronic apps. So then psychedelics are one family of mind apps, but there are lots of others like meditation and martial arts and prayer routines and breathing routines and so forth. So, so a full view of our mind would have to include our ability of our minds to work in all of these different mind apps. And my little specialty in that is psychedelic mind apps. And I try to show people that psychedelics are good for lots of things besides psychotherapy. And I'm particularly interested, as I mentioned, in, in intellectual uses and religious uses. Hmm. So, so I'm, I think, I'm hoping this, guy, this idea of mind apps will catch on because once start people, people start thinking about the possibility of installing apps into your mind, suddenly the whole field just blows open for all kinds of possibilities. Would you say that those mind apps could be installed through what you call psychotechnology then? Is, is that the term you would use as an umbrella for all those practices to improve your development or to develop your mind? Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, I, used the word, I originally used the word psychotechnology meaning a psychological technique for influencing the mind. And then it occurred, and I said originally, well, these are like apps to electronic devices. Then I realized if I would invent the word mind app, that sort of says it in like two little simple syllables. And people sort of understand it when you say, at least I hope they will, understand the word mind app. So, yes, a mind app is a psychotechnology or a technique for using the mind in, in different programs and different apps and different ways. And you can do different things with the mind, with the different mind apps, just like you can do different things with a, you know, electronic device with an electronic app. Right. I wonder when the two will merge and I'll actually be able to, like, just think you... about peeking out on mushrooms or having a cool experience on peyote or something and you can just you know download it instead of having to go out and find it and eat it and you you could choose the duration and intensity and all that I, that it can't be far or it could, off or it could be an app on your phone that actually like re, uh, <laughs> vibrates in a certain way or sends certain frequencies into your mind um though, though, and those are 
Well, I'll put the like cartoonists are looking at. <laughs> um, yeah. They're looking at largely um, electronic and genetic ways of influencing the mind, and I think they're onto something big. But I don't think what they're onto is as big as they think they're onto. Huh? So you think there's a ways to come still with that? Um, I think that they're un- underestimating the complexity of the human mind. Right. Um, let me give you a couple of examples. Is that um, biological molecules in the mind actually are flexible and change shape. So if you're going to model the mind, you have to be able to model molecules that are changing shape. And I think basically they're seeing the mind as an information transfer device. You know, one neuron connected with another and, and so forth. But it's a lot deeper than that. And then another problem, I've just got through reading um, Kaku's book called The Future of the Mind. He's right. a physicist. And he says that um, that it's going to be possible to model the mind very well, but it'll miss certain things. And he says the reason it'll miss it is because it won't take into account quantum physics. So he's looking at it as, as a physical problem. I'm looking at it as a as a cognitive psychologist, and I notice the interesting idea I like to use is the idea of emergence, that is, when systems get complex, new properties, new characteristics emerge that aren't part of any of the individual components. And, um, and the mind or self or cognition are emergent properties. And um, if we build a model of the mind that's based on transistors or some other electronic device, transistors may be, um, may be replaced by, my, my, by finer electronic devices that work on a quantum level, but they're still going to be physical things rather than biological things. Mm-hmm. And um, just as our biological mind emerges or produces mind, self, concepts, the the new um, electronic mind will may produce, may emerge with new properties, but those properties are going to be different from the biological properties. Or another very simple way of saying is that carbon basis will, will or has resulted in certain um, emergent properties that we call mind or self, and silicon-based um, complexities will emerge with other types of properties. Huh, that's interesting. So, so I, I really think they're under something really good, and I want to encourage them, but I think they're missing some of the complexities. The, el- the el- elasticity part of the, the mind, yeah. like the neuroelasticity. So yes, yes, it's and plasticity. So so they would have to divide, have to design something that would be able to change. Um, it's um, shape and connection sort of constantly. And also, how are they going to put in things like, you know, being hurt or hungry or horny or holy? I mean, those are part of what it takes to have a human mind. Right. And those are going to have to be sort of worked in somehow. Huh. So, all the hormones. What we, and then it means a lot to, to be a human. It means to have a lot of hormones influencing the the mind, or the brain and the mind, and so those are going to have to be worked in somehow. Huh. Sounds like a bit of a project. <laughs> yes, it is. But I think we're going to discover some really good things about, when you try to model something and you find how the model does and doesn't work, what you're discovering is something about the original thing you're trying to model. Right. And I think it'll be really useful that way. So one of the things 
you're trying to model or, or I wanted to, to break, bring it up this way is I don't think people realize that uh, the future of psychedelics or entheogens uh, are going to be used for cognitive enhancement or development, but you're actually thinking about that, looking into that. Could you explain a little bit about that? Yes, sure. Um, my, you know, for years, uh, actually, I am, I am an educational psychologist. So I'm interested in learning how people think and looking at cognitive psychology. So what I'm proposing that we enrich our view of how thinking occurs is to recognize that thinking, that is cognitive processes, occur in all mind-body states. And whether you're dreaming or meditating or doing yoga or whatever, and that a full view of the human mind and its cognitive capacities has to include all those capacities and all those different mind states. And basically what we have right now is sort of a single-state psychology, and we're not looking at all those other possibilities. So I think this is the big... The, it's an error of eliminating information that, that we're making by looking only at our mind, only in its ordinary awake state. Now, we, are, we include sleeping and dreaming, too, but, that, mm-hmm. but those are sort of subsidiaries. So the, the question then is, how many additional mind-body states can we install with these various mind apps? And how will they affect thinking? And will we develop new ways of thinking that haven't been developed before? And a really intriguing idea of this is, every new mind app that's developed is like installing a new app in, let's say, your, your cell phone. You can do different things with it. So as we are developing these new mind apps, and they're being developed, you know, chemically and through meditation and so on and so forth, the possibilities of the mind is increasing, you know, at every one of those steps. And to make things even more fun, suppose we start combining them. Suppose we combine, let's ayahuasca with certain types of meditation. Will we actually create new mind apps and new cognitive processes that hadn't been created before? Ah. So, the, so the mind is a construction process in process rather than a given that we just have to explore. Fascinating. I wonder. Yeah, it's a big idea. <laughs> I, I, I suppose you could even consider something as simple as reading as being like a basic mind app. Um, well, I, I think that um, for most of us, reading takes place in our ordinary uh, default awake state. So I would I would say that, you know, that is a an ability within our ordinary state is, you know, to read and comprehend and remember and so forth. Mm-hmm. And the question I'd ask is, in fact, anybody who's ever been stoned has experienced this. What happens when you read something stoned? I mean, it's, it's a different experience. You get um, right into it. <laughs> yes, right. Yes, right. And so what, the, what that means is that we can ask the question, how does reading vary from mind-body state to mind-body state? Uh-huh. And we all know sometimes, like when you're really reading, you're absolutely into what the person is saying. You're like, it's like being absorbed in a movie or a TV show, and you just absorb it in. And sometimes you're like critiquing it, or sometimes you're having a hard time concentrating on it. So all those different mind-body processes offer a great variety of ways of doing everything. And reading is one of those things that varies from mind-body state to mind-body state. Hmm. So Darren, do you... Do you get right into it and then forget it right after? Well, that certainly, that certainly can happen. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many people have had the experience of 
start to read a sentence, and by the time we got halfway through, you forgot where we started. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Sometimes I'll get that where I'm like a third of the way up through a page, even. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, okay, right. Back sure. to the back to the top. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So, do you have any examples, Tom, of of uh, how entheogenic research has shown that it could improve cognitive uh, abilities? Oh yes, well, yes. Um, well, for, well, the the best known is probably um, in music and art. You know, the posters of the '60s, uh, psychedelic music, and so forth. But what I'm particularly interested in um, is the problem solving. And the best example of this that I know of comes from Jim Fadiman's book. Um, I forgot the name of it. Exploring Psychedelics or something like that. And um, um, there are a couple of examples of this. There's at least one Nobel Prize and probably another one um, who, whose insights came from people using psychedelics. Um, Terry Mollis's invention of the PCR technique is is one of them, and he clearly says that, now, he didn't think of it while he was doing LSD. And this is very interesting because he said that what he did is, when he used LSD, he learned to visualize, and he carried that ability to visualize back into his ordinary state. Now, this is interesting because we always wonder about carrying information from one state to another. For example, you wake up in the morning, you know you've dreamt, you can't remember the dream, and then suddenly, like, downloads. For me, it's like 10.30 in the morning for some reason, yeah. and you remember the whole thing. Yeah. But he was able to take that skill learned in psychedelic state and transfer it back to his ordinary state and then use that to develop the PCR technique. Huh. And the other possibility is uh, Crick's insight into the nature of the DNA molecule. And a lot of people have that as pretty well nailed down. I'm not convinced yet, but I mean... I may have missed something that they know about. But beyond that, um, Jim Fadiman um, was part of a project that went on, actually it was published in 1966, where they took professionals who had been working on problems, and these were mathematicians and designers and architects and you know people all through different professions who had been stumped on problems. And they gave them... Um, uh, Mescaline, uh, they, they were in groups of four, um, had them um, think for a while and listen to music in the morning about their, think about the problems and relax and get into the music, and then have a very simple lunch together and talk to each, to each other in the group, and then try to come up with solutions to their problems in the afternoon. And I think they had, I'm not sure the numbers, but I think they had 27 different professionals and some of them actually solved more than one solution. And so they came up with four to four solutions. And the the question was, would the clients accept, let's say, the designs, or would they use, did they get publications out of them? And they did. And so, but this is an example of using psychedelics. To me, this is the, the lead that most needs to be followed up, is on uh, creative problem solving or Actually, it's thinking outside the box. Hmm. Yeah, this well, even, is what I would love to see established. Yeah, well, even uh, you know Steve Jobs famously, yes, famously uh, uh, thanked LSD or not thanked, but quoted LSD as helping him in the development of his Apple products. And I mean, 
They're, exactly. Apple's definitely become a household name. I, I myself personally in my younger years have had uh, experiences in the waning hours of LSD, like, you know, right at the tail end of it where I noticed that I'm multitasking. I've actually noticed it in myself that I'm multitasking at an incredible rate. Like, and being present with all you do, though? And... Yeah, exactly. Like, I'll have, like, six different things going on at the same time, and I have them <laughs> all in fucking perfect unison. Meanwhile, yeah, isn't you're... that fascinating? Yeah, it is. It, what you were talking about there, Tom, reminds me of the relaxation response. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It was, I think, somebody named Benson... Uh, wrote that yeah. book and it's kind of like when you're super stressed out and you're trying to solve a problem the answer comes when you're in the shower or when you when you basically let it go and relax and it sounds like now that they've done these studies about how our brain actually slows down on on entheogens that uh, it almost sounds like that problem solving comes from sort of a like a psychoactive relaxation response uh yes that certainly can happen and um for example, in my own writing, I often wake up around um, 3 or 4 in the morning, and I can't really get back to sleep, but I sort of drift in and drift off. And I will come up with, like, words or phrases or insights that I want to use. And actually will come to my office right here where I'm sitting now and write it down so that I don't forget it. Mm. And, that, and, and there's, there's that sort of half-awake, half-asleep sort of state you get into that, that creativity happens. And this is standard. No, actually, the first psychological problem I got interested in was creativity. And that's back when I was in the fourth grade. I wanted to be an inventor. And I asked my mother, how do you learn to be an inventor? <laughs> Which was the creativity problem when you're in fourth grade, right? And she you know, couldn't give me a very good answer because nobody has yet had a good answer. <laughs> but part of the answer is that... You, that Part of the answer is the ability to use these different apps, different mind apps, to produce different mind-body states, and to use different thinking processes, and then, of course, to come up with different solutions. So with me, it's often like in the wee hours of the morning, and I have definitely learned I've got to write it down or I'll forget it. Hmm. I used to use uh, my iPhone voice notes for that. I would just, oh, ha I would, yeah. I would have it open on my, I was trying to learn how to lucid dream because talk about bringing information through different mind body states. Like people, when I was learning how to lucid dream, I didn't do very good at it by the way, but when I was trying to do it, I was trying to learn how to bring, uh, everyday awareness into my dream. Like, so you'd create a habit in your real life and then in your dream, you'd bring that habit into your, uh, loose your, into your dream to become lucid. Yeah. This, uh, I was in a dream group oh, in the early 1970s, and one of the women in the group had her, like a tape recorder next to her bed, and when she had a dream, she would you know, she'd wake up and pick up and record it, and after a while, she would get so she would pick it up and describe her dream like, you know, this is happening to yeah. me now, first person, and then often she'd be, wake up the next morning and be surprised that she had recorded her dreams. Wow, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was trying to do, to try and train myself to remember my dreams. I hear, I, yeah. There's a lot of similarity. Like, you know, in a dream, they say to look at your hands. Yeah, and if your hands like... look weird, and you experience yeah. the same thing on psilocybin, where you look at your hands and it just doesn't seem like it's they belong to you. Don't they look like they're breathing sometimes when you look at that? For me, for me I've, in my experience, it's like sometimes it just seems like it's a suit. Like the hands aren't under like my a, control. Like a meat suit? Yeah. <laughs> Have you tried those glasses that have little lights on them? 
I've never, oh, the I've blinking glasses them. or something, right? They blink and let you know that, that you're dreaming. You're supposed to get used to the blinks. They detect your REM movement, I think. Yeah, something like that. I've, I've never used them, never seen them. Yeah, I, I, that's on my list. Definitely. Right. So what about uh, what about healing through entheogens? Um, I hear, it's, and it reminds me of lucid dreaming too, because when you read all these lucid dreaming books, you know, I, healing seems to come up everywhere. Like you can uh, be aware of one of your problems, whether it be like something physical or like a nightmare and be able to heal it through a lucid dream. And then it seems like there's similarities between people possibly healing on entheogens, whether it's like ayahuasca trips or, or psilocybin. Like, do you have any research? Have you wrote, written about that? Oh, yeah. This is, this is one of the big ideas. In, uh, I have a chapter in um, the Psychedelic Future of the Mind, and the title of it is something like, Do Psychedelic Induced Mystical Experiences um, Result in Healing? And um, there are these fascinating anecdotes of people who have had spontaneous remission, usually not with psychedelics, but occasionally with psychedelics. And part of the experience of a spontaneous remission is a very powerful, positive, mystical experience where they feel that bundle of the world and feel very blessed and very healthy and, and, and have sort of like cured things that are supposed to be incurable. So the question I'm raising is if mystical experiences um, are... are what causes or occasions unusual healing? Is it possible to produce mystical experiences um, intentionally? And of course, one of the things psychedelics, <coughs> excuse me, can do is to intentionally produce mystical experiences. So this may be a clue on um, making spontaneous healing not really spontaneous, but coming out of mystical experiences. And the important thing is not the psychedelic, but the mystical experience. Mm. And the psychedelic is merely a way of producing a mystical experience. And I really think this should be produced. This should be uh, uh, investigated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for something like that, the settings have to be just right, too, though. So, like, do you think... How, how like, in an ideal circumstance, how would you see it see it working... Okay. The, the, there are three like ideal images that have been used. <laughs> One is at Charlie Grobe at um, Harbor Hospital in Los Angeles, um, the group at uh, Bellevue Hospital in New York, and the group at Johns Hopkins Medical Institute in Baltimore. And they all are using the same process. Now, it's important to point out that they have a very strict screening process, and they only take people in who are basically mentally very sound, okay? Right. And no pre-psychotics, you know, none of that, okay? And in each of those cases, what they do is uh, they view psilocybin to produce mystical experiences. Um, Charlie Grobe and um, the Ross Group at Bellevue have been working with people who have uh, terminal diseases, mostly cancer, in order to do the psychotherapy of approaching dying. It doesn't work on the underlying disease, but it's psychotherapy to help the person not be overly stressed about the disease. And they've done the same thing in Baltimore, Johns Hopkins, but they've also um, 
work, they're actually right now, they're working with people who have nicotine addiction, and they are um, recruiting people. So if anybody listening is in the Baltimore area and wants to be a sub, get hold of, uh, of uh, Roland Griffiths at uh, Johns Hopkins Medical School. And um, what they found is that the, the first thing they do is they screen people. Uh, second is um, they take probably 8 to 12 hours of developing rapport with psychotherapists, and the psychotherapist then sit with them during the experience. So that's the third stage. So they're guided during the experience, and there are two there. They're a man and a woman, both in all these cases. And uh, finally, after the experience, there's a, an integration session that day, and then a day or two later, to sort of help people adjust the experience to their lives and understand it. And instead of just seeing it as, oh, I did this weird thing, and now I'm back with myself, but integrate it into themselves. And this process seems to be the the one that works best. So that that's really where we are on that. And I actually think there ought to be a an institute or a center or a company or something that would provide screening and preparation and sessions and integration. And so that, you know, mental health professionals could send people to the center or people who are working on creative issues could work on it that way or people who are working on problem solving could work on it that way because this is a, it's a very... It's a very specialized professional background, and just any person can't really be the person to screen and guide. So I'd like to see some sort of institution or company or center set up that would sort of guide people and provide this service, just like there are, you know, dialysis centers or any other centers. Yeah, or even like, could could it even be as like as like a even people who go into yoga or go into group meditations or thing like that? Oh, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going to go down to the center and and have an experience. That would certainly be part of it. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I think <laughs> well, maps of course, uh, multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies <laughs> um, is just developing um, professionals who will be able to to work in these centers. So, I mean, that's definitely the direction things are going in. To me, it's not a question of whether they will be set up, but who will set them up and when and where and so forth. Okay. And there's no reason they have to be set up, you know, in the United States, you know, Canada or the Netherlands or Switzerland or the Scandinavian countries might be more open to this than we are. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think you're right. So, well, you've been at this for a long time, and you must have seen a lot of... Uh a lot of positive movement already, but do you think that's something that you'll see? Like, could you put a time on it, a prediction? I'm extremely bad at predicting, predicting things, <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, the direction we're going is clearly that direction, and and it's a very hard thing to predict. I mean, suppose, for example, um, in the U.S., suppose uh, a senator's wife is an alcoholic, and she gets treated with psychedelics and gives up her alcoholism, all of a sudden it, it sort of catches on, okay? Or I think the the two areas are going to catch on most likely are um, post-traumatic stress disorder, and that's basically Mithoffer's work um, with uh, returning veterans who, who have not been able to be treated by ordinary treatments. 
and um, the work that's going on with Grobe and Ross um, at Bellevue and at, uh, in California as uh, uh, death anxiety. I think those are the two areas will catch on, and they will then open up other possibilities. Like like addiction work or whatever. Yes. Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. The Johns Hopkins are working. You know, one of the most difficult drugs to get off is nicotine, and they're having uh, oh, yeah, I'm a, pre- I'm actually, pretty good results with nicotine. Yeah. I'm in the middle of trying to give it up uh, as we speak. But you oh, good I'm luck. Yeah, I know. I've actually I've switched to uh, smoking my own rolled organic tobacco cigarettes. Oh, that's like my phase out. I'm gonna go to these for a while, and then it's a that's as far as I've got so far. Well, I, I wish you good luck, and I hope you'll sort of think someday. No, oh, what am I doing? I don't really need these things, you know. Or, or just put them off and put them off every day. Put them off a little. Yeah, or just realize that you're a slave to nicotine. That's right. <laughs> so, or have a good blowout mystical experience and give it up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's uh, trying that too. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, speaking of healing and stuff, I mean, you, you hear guys like Graham Hancock talk about uh, ayahuasca. I think it was healing his uh, pot addiction and, and other people treating their alcoholism through entheogens. I mean, that must be opening up quite a bit. Yeah, I, it is, and and what we need is some good, you know, hard scientific evidence for it. And not that that has to convince people, but I mean that's basically the way society works, and you have to come up with that evidence for it. Can you even study that in in a scientific way, though? I mean, you know, you have people like like I'm a I'm an old twelve stepper myself, not old, but uh, I've been I've. Uh been clean and sober for six years but i mean hearing people get clean and sober through the program actually it's six years today darren by the way congratulations yeah, thanks, congratulations <laughs> good for you all right but um good going but you know people people use the 12 steps or whatever whatever else and and the scientific result i get out of it is i've seen so many people get get better and get clean and sober but it's so hard to measure you know, you you have to trust what people say. You have to. There's a whole bunch of variables, so it, it, that must be one of the hardest things to uh, to study. Yeah, well, I mean, if you rely, you can rely on what people are saying, provided you just say that that's what you're relying on. You know, you know, Bill Wilson did LSD and really saw LSD as the way that he wanted Alcoholics Anonymous to go. Right. And and he was really blocked by the directors at that particular time because psychedelics had such a bad rep at that particular time. I mean, that's tragic. And one of the real tragedies of this is that there are all these people who could have been helped for decades and decades, not, not just up in alcoholism, but other psychological problems with PTSD. I mean, sort of on and on, and they haven't been helped. And we just, it's awful to think that our loss of the basically prevented people from becoming healthier. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to get addicted to, to entheogens too, right? I mean, there's still the stigma around it as a harmful drug, but I did know one guy who was, uh, and I can't even fathom how this happens, but he was kind of addicted to LSD. I think alcohol was involved too, but um, I was just astounded at the amount and the frequency of, of the use. I mean, I know that you know, with my past experimentation with hallucinogens or whatever, it's, uh, you know, you can only do it so much <laughs> unless you're like, 
who are those guys in the in the that we interviewed that day there? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, every drug has a, has some people who have idiosyncratic reactions to it. I mean, uh, there are people who die of aspirin and penicillin and so forth. So you, you know, you kind of recognize that. Um, also, um, I can understand if somebody like has a very emotionally positive LSD experience, you want to repeat it. Right. Now, usually what happens, and this is in my case too, I discovered, well, it, you can't repeat it. Like, it's not reliable that way. Right. Um, and so you sort of realize that, okay, this is not a drug you can use that way. But to some people who never really sort of realize that. Yeah, I think I, I read one of your chapters in the spiritual growth with entheogens, and you talk about that a little bit, how, you know, don't think this is going to be all rosy, like you're just going to be able to have uh, a spiritual experience every time you drop acid or do mushrooms. Right. <laughs> right, and that, that's an insight that, that the whole culture has to recognize. It's, it's not like, um, you know, turning on with some nice high like crack or something that will get you high. But I think uh, even in the negative experiences, there's always something to be learned. Well, certainly in psychotherapy. Yeah. In psychotherapy, the negative experiences are often the ones that are most productive. But I think one really needs to do that with a, a psychotherapist who knows how to help a client work through those and understand them and integrate them. Because it's also possible just to have a terribly negative experience and not resolve it. And have that sort of, you know, haunting your life from then on. Like if Darren tried mushrooms again and then smoked his brains out to try and quit smoking, and then he ends up addicted worse to cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, right. Always well, we right. make a we movie. Won't that. <laughs> <laughs> or how would you do that, Darren? Would you would you would you focus on like the nicotine itself, like try and get like I remember you on the episode we did, you were describing like the energy of the flame and the cigarette. <laughs> I wonder, uh, I think maybe you could have some positive results if you went into it with the intentions. Maybe that was the start of your actual quitting that experience. No, it wasn't. No, <laughs> that wasn't. It's still a positive experience. So it, it brought in my spiritual horizon, so to speak. Well, a lot of people who are experienced in the field say that, you know, the most important thing is your attention. Yeah, exactly. Like, I find it's like, if it's just sprung upon you, you're walking, you know, you're running to your buddy, and then all of a sudden you eat some mushrooms, it never turns out positive. 
Sometimes maybe it does, but I find uh, the the experience is always going to be better if there's a little reverence behind it and if you've planned it out for a while in advance and you're looking forward to it and you've got everything kind of planned out, those ones tend to be... And always being in the bush helps. <laughs> so, Tom, speaking of all these different drugs and all that, um, why are we still in this state of denial here about uh, all these different drugs being classified as harmful? Like, what, when, when are we going to open up in our society and allow people to have, as Graham Hancock would say, sovereignty over our consciousness? I think it's going to, well, I expect it's going to be a slow process, and, and I think the medical door is going to be the, the door that will open it. And uh, as I said, I'm not good at predicting the future, but I think that it'll happen sort of, a, you know, one step or two steps at a time. Um, first with, you know, people facing death, and then with PTSD, and then other types of psychotherapy. Um, I would like to see it um, being used in the academic and scientific communities for problem solving. Um, and, and I don't have a sense of, of when this will happen, I'm, but all the, all the advances, let's say, in the last, what, 20 years have been sort of moving steadily in this, in this direction. And I think it's important for it to be done um, in... Uh, in a cautious way, because we live in a society that's conscious about drugs. Look, I wouldn't want to see a lot of these drugs, you know, legalized in the sense that you go down to a liquor store and buy them or go down to the drugstore and buy them, because I think that was a mistake of the 50s and 60s. Now, the reason I'm thinking that is not because I think they were especially dangerous, although they are dangerous for some people, but because one or two um, extreme noticeable cases sort of screw the thing up for everybody else. So I think we just have to approach it, you know, very sort of methodically. The, our culture has ways of doing things, and like it or not, I mean, that's how society is set up. And approval by the various, you know, uh, Food and Drug Administration in the United States or the Health Services Administration in Brooklyn, I mean, in Britain and so forth, have to have to do it that way. And it's frustrating that it has to be a slow process, but this is the way the process works. And yet, when I, when I started getting into this field, nobody was doing anything in it. And now, you know, if you're on the MAPS forum or you're getting information in one place or another, information is coming through at least weekly. And, and, and people are sort of recognizing there's more to the human mind than just our ordinary state. And, the, and changing the idea of what it means to have a mind is a big change for society. And this is what sort of, this is slowly happening and working its way through. And I think we just have to hope that it won't take too long to happen and try to encourage it to move along. But recognize that there's not going to be a sudden, you know, overnight sensation. Yeah, the conspiratorial part of me thinks that it's like an intentional suppression because, you know, a lot of <clears throat> there's a lot of awareness and awakening that happens when when people take these. Like Darren Darren and I on the show have talked about like if if everybody took them it would be a much more loving um you know, a loving world, right? I mean, if if we gave the people in power some of this, there'd be less wars and all this kind of stuff. So the conspiratorial part of me thinks that it's 
it's not just our system and culture right now. It's kind of like an intentional suppression by the institutions. But yeah, I don't think it's intentional. Okay, and I think giving um, giving to people in power, a lot of them would just freak out and get scared and get paranoid. <laughs> you know, and this is not what we want. <laughs> uh, because if, if you know, Stan Groff talks about psychedelics as being uh, amplifiers of whatever's going on in your mind. Oh. And if you take people who are frightened and scared and aggressive, you know, amplify that. That's not what we need. Yeah, that, that's a good point. <laughs> So, no, you, you, I, and we have to realize that, that you and I and our friends know a very selective bunch of people. And they, might, they probably are not very representative of humanity in general. Yeah, I forget that a lot. Yeah, we all do, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> You're not cool. <laughs> so I, wanted, I was fascinated by you talking about how um, the phases of religion in our past and then how we could be entering a new phase that's based on our, our own personal uh, spiritual experiences. Yeah. This is one of the big ideas that I find going on in the field. Um, if, if we look sort of historically at the reformation, say around the, oh, the 16th century, actually with the invention of the green press and movable type, actually what, um, Gutenberg developed was not a movable type, but he developed a technique for producing lots of letters. It was, a, it was a very technical craft sort of thing. Before they had to be individually made one at a time, one at a time, and he developed a way to make a whole bunch of them. So that really made the movable type possible because you had all these letters you could use. So when that happened, religion changed from being oriented primarily toward ritual, church, things that you actually did, to books. And, and religion transferred from being right and, and activity-oriented toward reading books and understanding what the books said. And so basically what Protestantism was, was, did was take the book as the center of religion and text as the center and words as the center, rather than a church and ritual and right as the center. Mm. Now, so that I'm basically we've been living in the Protestant Revolution for the last 500 years. Now, what that did, of course, is to make text available to the ordinary person, provided the ordinary person could learn how to read, and this is one of the emphasis of why public education was originally started, so people could read the Bible. Now, I think we're going through a similar transformation now in which primary religious spiritual experience is now taking the place of text. And through ayahuasca or peyote or meditation or prayer, they don't have to be psychedelic techniques. People are having their own religious experiences, and these are being seen as more basic, more real than text. And I think this is a big sort of like a a 500-year transition, one happened like 500 years ago, and we're going through another one that's happening right now. So I think this is the big movement that we're making. And psychedelics are a big part of that. By no means are the only, are the only part. That the work that's being done in yoga and meditation and breathing techniques and so forth. Are there mind-body psychotechnologies that, have, that can have 
don't always have spiritual um, implications. Yeah, I'm. I, that fascinates me, and because um, it's it's like uh, I could speak to that myself. I mean, we've had experiences that have made me realize like there's something else out there, right? There's a power greater than myself or whatever, right? Through, uh, you know, sound, sound healing. And I've felt like my shockers vibrating, all kinds of crazy stuff that I kind of believed in before, but actually feeling it happen to me. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's, I can see, uh, you know, people shifting out of that kind of dogmatic religion into, into more of like <laughs> personal experience based. It's fascinating. Yes, it really is. And, and I wonder, you know, when you think that, I mean, basically all our modern society comes out of this transition that happened five or hundred years ago. Are we going through an, another sort of big cultural, social transition that will, that will result in who knows what? And I love how it, it ends up, um, I think there's a power of us to look within too, and it seems like, like some of the spiritual axioms, whatever about, you know, looking within instead of waiting for external circumstances and blaming external things. Like it seems like, like when I've, we, we did an episode where, where Darren and another guy were on mushrooms and, and you could genuinely see like the love that they were feeling like they were out there. And, and I think it, it helps people go within, right. Instead of like blaming everything else, it helps people go within and take some, some sort of responsibility for how they're feeling. Yes. Yes. I mean, one of the central ideas of transpersonal psychology is if you follow spiritual development far enough, it becomes, I mean, if you follow psychological development far enough, it becomes spiritual development. Yeah. Oh, and that's, that's like going into yourself deeper and deeper. Yeah. Oh, that's what I meant to say earlier. I was kind of stumbling there. Is That's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this podcast too, right? Is Is as things are opening up, I love to have uh, to listen to people's experiences or whatever, and to have a platform where people can talk about whatever experience they're having without, you know, ridicule or judgment or anything like that. Just kind of an open forum. That's what's great about what's going on with the internet right now. It sure is. Yeah, I guess like it must have been hard twenty years ago. Like the the, the I suppose the audience is growing at at a pretty tremendous rate. Um, that's my experience, but my experience is not very typical of the average person, you know. But but I think that's true. I'm well. For example, um, I'm now getting oh, I don't know, half a dozen, dozen times a year during the winter months, mostly um, seniors in college who are looking for graduate programs and where they can study psychedelics or transpersonal psychology, you know. And those fields are coming along, and and. People are wondering more about them, and the fields themselves are developing. So I, we're we're going in a whole new intellectual direction of recognizing that the human mind can work in a lot of different ways, including spiritual ways. And psychedelics are just sort of one little technique in that much larger field. And they could even, I mean, if if you if you listen to some people like Terence McKenna's chats about how they could even be have played a more critical role in our past than we might believe yeah i'm not really up on that um i've seen i've seen parts of it i'm i have no doubt that they've had important roles um although the people i know of, i think are sort of overstressing that point but i mean imagine you know our ancestors wandering around in the woods you know 20 30 40 30 
40,000 years ago when they're hungry and they see this thing and they eat it and suddenly, you know, shapes start to change and they feel different. I mean, how would they feel about that? How would they think about that? They were as intelligent as we are, but they don't have this accumulation of ideas that we've got since then. For example, they have, they have no idea about the nervous system. So what would they think about that? Um, and without her, and, and more and more anthropologists well, and archaeologists are finding sort of psychedelic roots in their fields. And this is a really exciting field because new questions are being asked when they, you know, when they look back at ancient Greece or Rome or Persia or something, they ask, they ask you know, what psychedelic plants or psychoactive plants did these people use? What did they think about them? How did they use them? How did they integrate them into the culture? So there's this whole rich enriched view of human nature that's coming along. So what what do you think about some of the crazier stuff? Like people seeing, you know, entities or purporting to have, you know, dimensional doorways open up or seeing the machine elves and collective consciousness, collective consciousness type stuff where like you can read each other's minds. Um, I'm very, I'm very skeptical, but also hopeful that they're onto something. But I think most of them are not being uh, enough self-critical. And that may be just a result of my own poverty of experience. I mean, I, I recognize that. I mean, I, I talk to people who have had, uh, who reported experiences with sort of extraterrestrial beings. Mm-hmm. And my thought is, well, it doesn't sound right to me, but that's <laughs> what I would have thought about psychedelic experiences 40 years ago, too. So, right. you know, you got to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm very, one of the nice things about psychedelics is they teach you that you might be wrong. You know, because we've all been wrong and then Humility. we have an experience. Yeah, and think, oh, well, what else am I wrong about? <laughs> so what about your own experiences? Do you have any, any special ones you could share with us? Um, well, my first was up at Lake Tahoe in um, uh, February uh, in 1970. And uh, it was a beautiful sort of, you know, wintry outside trip. And... My real result of that was not so much the experience itself, but thinking something is interesting about this. Something's going on here that I want to know about. Um, I mean, as a as an educational psychologist, you know, I, I think about the mind and I think, now wait a minute, this this says something about our minds. So basically, I've spent most of my professional and a lot of my personal career sort of trying to figure out what it is that's going on about our mind. That's, what, that's where the idea of mind apps and psychotechnologies comes from. Um, so then, um, oh, I, 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 I've tried to estimate how many times I've tripped. And um, I actually, I, I kept track of them up to around 17 or 18. And then after that, they all became sort of too many to keep track of. But I think it's probably 120 plus or minus 20. Uh, mostly, of course, like years and years ago. You know, I'm 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 at a point now in my physiology where I don't want to, um, you know, challenge my heart and my liver. Yeah, I've got some catching up to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you do you think that a lot of your ideas then are, are directly attributable to to some of those trips? Like, do you really feel like you came up with a lot of good ideas, or? at least open up your mind from, from some of those? Yeah, my experience has been not 
so much during the trip, but in reflecting back on it and thinking about it and trying to say what what was happening there, what was going on, how do I understand this? And um, without a doubt, you know, my professional career and my personal interest in in the mind and the way that our minds can work in in different mind-body states and with different psychotechnologies and with different mind apps and all of this comes out of that. So the big realization for me is the recognition that our minds work in a lot of different ways beside our ordinary default state. In and your, once, you, once that's given, everything else sort of like falls into place. In your opinion, uh, have you ever noticed an ideal condition or setting or... Or format to kind of as as an outline to sort of maximize the the experience. Not for me. Other people have, I think. But but my experience, other than I mentioned, you know, waking up early in the morning and sort of letting my mind drift along on this. Actually, what I found is that if I think about these issues before I go to bed, and tonight might be a good example of that. My mind is sort of thinking along these ways, and then maybe I wake up around. You know, three or four o'clock in the morning, my mind will have thought through a lot of these things. And my experience is I'll come up with a word or a phrase that I'll know I want to use in my writing. For example, my body state, psychotechnology, mm. mind apps. Huh. Have, have, those words have appeared to me early in the morning. Wow. And I realized that there's more to them than just the word I want to use. Yeah, yeah. Have you installed any mind apps lately? No, other than tea, I'm a great fan of tea. I'm drinking, I'm drinking caffeine right now and tea. Right. <laughs> I just finished some caffeine. It's <laughs> yeah. delicious. With some occasional um, inexpensive wine. Right, right. But no meditation or yoga or anything like that? Well, even no, out. And, and in one sense, I think I really should. I mean, you know, I should. Actually, I probably would do um, some sort of mind awareness yoga and people I know who've done it have, have improved but somehow I'm just not feeling myself dedicated enough to you know take half an hour or 20 minutes a day and do it and I think that's a weakness in my part and, and yoga I definitely should do have you ever tried a deprivation tank yeah yeah years ago <laughs> my experience was boy is this boring <laughs> nothing is going on I was, God, when was my time going to be Oh, up? that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I had a, I didn't have a great experience either. Graham took me to one, and I ended up, I had a cut on the back of my knee, and it started, I, I didn't know about it. It was just a little tiny scrape, I guess, and I hopped in, and that started burning. Oh, yeah. So I had to get out and wipe that off and put some of that jelly on it. Then I hopped back in, and then <laughs> it had the salt water. It started running down my forehead when I was wiping off my cut so then it got in my eye so then that bugged me for the next 10 minutes and then the last like five minutes was really nice <laughs> well i'm glad it ended up all right he was playing around most of the time but then again darren's that was his first meditation experience we threw him right into the tank so uh, uh, good. so what else uh, do you have coming up besides the the publishing of that uh that book that you, uh, and we'll link to all this in the show notes in the episode, but besides that book, do you have uh, other things planned? Any conferences? Uh, well, actually, I'm being interviewed um, this Thursday night, um, and um, I'm 
writing with a woman at uh, Shepherd University, seeing about speaking there this fall. I don't have any, well, actually, I do have a conference. On April um, 7th, I think it is, I'm going up to Madison, Wisconsin. They're showing the movie from uh, uh, Neurons to Nirvana. And there's a panel, and I'm on the panel that'll be talking about talking about psychedelics. Oh, wow. I did the same name. thing earlier this month in Chicago, and my, actually I have four projects on the. I'm trying to decide which and ones I want to do and when. I, this last winter was a very heavy writing from time for me. I wrote about seven chapters for anthologies, and it's more writing that I really wanted to do. And I'm trying to like recover from that. <laughs> But I still have things I want to write about. But I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in writing a book, and the title will actually be Mind Apps. And it'll be a lot of the ideas we talked about tonight. Cool. Uh, another one is um, taking Stan Groff's uh, view of the mind, particularly the perinatal level, and using it to analyze works of art. And the one that I want to get into first is the movie Pink Floyd, The Wall, which is an incredibly good movie from Groff's perspective. Yeah, I know that one off by heart myself. We used to, that was our go-to movie back in the oh, 80s. Oh, sure. It is so powerful. Yeah. I mean, it's just, like he starts off by saying, if you know what wants to go on behind these cruel eyes, so you know, you know you're getting into his head. Right. It's just an incredible movie. I, I saw uh, bits of it uh, about a, three or four days ago on, on TV. <laughs> and and, so, and I'm, um, so I'm thinking of writing actually a whole book using Groff's ideas as illustrating how to use them to understand things. And um, so those are the sort of the projects that I have in mind, and I'm, I'm just not quite ready to do them yet. I've done so much writing, I need to kind of relax. But the problem is these ideas keep on coming along, and I don't want to lose them. I don't think I've ever even seen uh, Pink Floyd, The Wall, the movie. Oh. Yeah. Is it like a music video? Oh, yeah, video? it's on DVD. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's pretty powerful. How long yeah. is it? It's uh, it's about an hour and a half, probably something like that. It's it's definitely like a, a pretty much full length. Is it maybe it's, yeah, only it's like an hour. a movie? Movie. It's the album. It's the album, right? Oh, it just plays yeah. the music. No, and it's a whole movie with the album playing. Yeah. Is it like a plot and talking and? Uh, it's a pretty crazy plot. You might find a plot in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's the there's there's the theme of breaking through the wall. Yeah. Which comes to it. And what you do is you see some of the things in, in his background and his current life that have sort of built up this wall that he finally tries to break through. The, at the, toward the end, like the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes, have absolutely stunning cartoon, cartooning. Cartooning not in the funny sense, but in, in graphic art. Yeah. It's just incredibly powerful. Yeah, that stuff sticks with you for a while. Yeah. Yeah, you know what, did, did you ever see... Uh... What is it, A Waking Life, I think, or something like that? Yeah, I saw that. It's pretty cool. That's a cool one, too. I'll have to watch that now. Maybe I'll watch it is this Is that the weekend. one where the guy's wife is sort of in a, off in a cave or something like that? No, it's like a, it's, it was animated, too, I think, wasn't it? And it's like Buddy gets hit by a car or something happens. or I forget what the premise of it is, but it's like an exploration of the mind and, and uh, kind of down the same line as uh, I... Uh, what the bleep do we knew sort of sort of movie. Oh, The Awakened Mind, is that the name of it? Yep. Oh, good, I'll have to see it. Yeah, I it's... think Inception is a lot of fun, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was a good one. That's a dream one, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. All the layer upon layer of dreams. Sort like... of a dream, right, but it's done chemically. Chemical dreaming. Um, so before we let you go, Tom, is there any place our listeners, if they want to find out more about you, that they can track you down? Or are you on the Facebook or the Twitter or any of that fun stuff? Um, I'm not on Twitter. I'm actually thinking of dropping off Facebook. I'm getting so much junk mail. Um, but I have a website. Um, and a lot of my writing is on there and um, links to uh, videos. It's, it's very simple. It's NIU, like Northern Illinois University, dot academia dot edu slash Thomas Roberts. And we recommend that people read all that stuff. It's, there's some really powerful stuff in there. Yeah, thanks. I've enjoyed writing it. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and, we'll yeah, make and sure. new, I'm going to be putting new stuff on there, you know, every now and then, too. Yeah, we encourage all our listeners to uh, to check out the site and to uh, to read the books. Um, I was, I was uh, the one I was, I just finished was uh, Spiritual Growth with Entusians. Is that it? Chapters. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I like th- that one's cool because it's a perfect, like, on the go, not a lot of time book because it's all split up into nice, perfect little bite sized chapters. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. yeah. That came out of a conference that we had in 1995. And wow. we asked the people at the conference to contribute chapters. And originally it came out, I think it was in 2001, and then was um, republished in uh, 2012. Yeah, very cool. Well, Tom, we'd like to really thank you for taking time out of your, your busy schedule and coming on the show with us tonight. Well, thanks. You know, as you can tell, I love talking about this stuff. Yeah, and I think it's important work, too, for the future of uh, of our culture. I sure. hope so. Yeah. Maybe one day we'll be able to look back at the, uh, the war on drugs and it'll be a distant memory. Well, I hope so. Right. So what'd you think about our uh, entheorestrials? Entheorestrials. Ah, uh, good one. I like that one. Because I can, uh, you know, the, like that during America Psilocybus, I experienced uh, a fairly spiritual, ex- very spiritual experience. Experience. So. Cosmic lovey-dovey? Exactly. One, one. Seen through the veil, buddy. You know so what else? I can, um, you know, I agree with that. Uh, I, with what he's saying, I'm all all over it. You know what else? I remember you guys talking about um, feeling or seeing somebody walking down the stairs from above, right? Yeah. And I I remember stuff like that too, where you 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 feel like your senses, you're sensing so much more. Like you can feel, like, see the hand, your hand breathing, the actual, your skin. And your blood breathing, or you know what I mean? Yeah, it's at that different level. Yeah. So maybe it opens shit up, and you can see more. I think it does, man. 
I think it does. I think that's where fucking a lot of these religions they came from. But I think Tom's you Tom. Don't, you don't experience feelings like that where you're getting fucking whipped with a fucking anything or you know. Well, there is a way you can torture hey. yourself to spiritual uh, enlightenment. That is one of the seven ways. Yeah, but I think it was more likely the psychedelics than the quest to get there. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I liked how Tom's bringing up these new concepts, like basically evolving religiously through personal spiritual experiences and the mind app thing, right? That you don't have to use entheogens. You can use yoga or meditation or, Kung you fu. know, sound healing or sound journeys, whatever you want to do. And what, what, what did you just say? Kung, Kung fu. fu. Kung fu, yeah. Martial arts. If you want to be like that. Or Tibetan singing bowls. <laughs> or mushrooms. So, yeah, we want to really thank uh, Dr. Tom Roberts for coming on. And uh, shout out to Smith the Mista. He's, uh, we use some of his music in this episode, so big thanks to him. And, uh, of course, you'll find links to all this stuff in the show notes, everything we talked about uh, in the intro, uh, Joanne's stuff where you can track down more Tom Roberts stuff and all the music you heard. Anything yeah. else? Spam Gram. Spam Gram. G-R-A-H-A-M at Grimerica.com. Yep. Let's light up his inbox this month and uh, jump on the Money Bomb fucking bandwagon and let's uh, yeah. let's really hammer into spring here. And we're coming up on our one-year anniversary here and just uh, shit, I think. Uh, just Two, a bit of over a month. Just over a month, yeah. Month and a half. May twenty fourth, I think. Yeah. So we might. Uh, what is May twenty fourth? Where's my fucking calendar? May twenty fourth is a Saturday. Sweet. So maybe we'll see about because uh, we were talking about trying to do the hundredth ep- or the fifth, the uh, one year episode live, but um, we'll have to see. We haven't even. We expect it to be a lot further down the live road by now. And we haven't even oh, started. Oh, yeah, right. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that'll happen. I'll have to talk to Micah. See how he, he can probably, it's probably not that hard. Yeah, we'll see. No promises. Because we have the YouTube channel already. I think you can do it through that somehow. Huh. I'll just like point the camera at the floor. Ah. Huh. Or at you. No, thanks. That's nice. I'll put the crotch cam on you. Oh, come on, buddy. Uh, that's terrible. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, yeah, thanks, Dan. We will uh, see you next week. Another year flashed by like a twinkle of an eye. So much trouble like a pilot miles high. Lessons always learned, still getting lots of wise. Just gotta take a minute. Step aside, cause my lights are flashing bright My path is clear to fly I've had it with his place, safe stop until I'm high Number one slot, I can see in my mind The light shine, the stars twinkle bright As I fly through the night, to my dreams I hold on tight Grinding hard as ever, believe when I say Every day's a challenge, got everything to gain A brand new year, hear it when I say 
These are all with this. Wake up. These are all with this. Shape up. These are all with this. Wake up. These are all with this. Shape up. Gonna make my mark. Already made my aim. Track by track. Again, a little fame. Puts a smile on my face. Knowing heads around the world. Be feeling what I say. Every corner of the globe. Heads around my hood, they all relate to what I say Every walk of life, colour, creep, the moral way today Music, beats, it's my way To wake the sleeping giant, a message I portray Truth, freedom, our way It's becoming ever clearer, they don't hear what we say The people have no voice, and need change These are our days, wake up These are our days, shape up these are all with this. Wake up. These are all with this. Shape up. Fukushima on the back for economic demise. Transit like a fallout. The government's lies. You shouldn't be surprised. Look at all the scandal from expenses to the bribes. One get sacked. Ten stand in line. Coalition army all chatting the same line. Don't matter who you vote for, what agenda. That's to occupy your mind. Mainstream media. That's all that fills your eyes I suppose it's not your fault The system's got your choke Slam down Both hands are on your throat You've got a choice And we all have a voice If you don't shout up The water hit the noise These are our days Wake up These are our days Shape up These are our days Wake up These are our days Shape up There's a freak storm coming We're in biblical times whether you sink or swim, it's for you to decide But the truth is all around you, how can you hide? How must it take disaster for you to decide? That something's kinda wrong, how many lies? Until you're all left homeless, starving, hungry And drying your eyes, drying your eyes Drying your eyes These are our days, wake up These are our days, shape up